was six years old when the war came to Greece. So between the ages of six and ten, there was a war, and that was my experience. The voice that you just heard was Dr. Yolanda Avram Willis. She is a native of Greece, and she is a survivor of the Holocaust that was perpetuated in that country during World War II. This is her story. Welcome to this edition of So Important, the Interview Podcast. This is a very special and very personal episode for me. I have known Yolanda for decades. Her story is truly compelling, but not only that, her eldest son, Mr. Marty Willis, is with me today, and he is going to help tell the story of how Yolanda and her family survived the Holocaust in Greece. Marty and I met back in 1968. We became close friends in high school and remain just as close to this day. In 2018, Yolanda spoke about her experience at my temple in Kensington, Maryland. Thanks to our mutual friend, Aaron Zittner, who recorded the talk, we are able to intersperse excerpts from Yolanda's presentation throughout this conversation. A year earlier, in 2017, Yolanda told her story in a book entitled A Hidden Child in Greece, Rescue in the Holocaust. It's a riveting read, all about the remarkable steps her father took so that the family could survive, as well as the extraordinary actions that many Christian Greeks also took to protect the family. A link to this book is in the show notes. But now, let me turn to my old friend, Mr. Marty Willis. And Marty, welcome to the show. Thank you, Monty. I'm happy to be here with you. How long have we known each other? We first met in 1968 in Cub Scouts. We were in third grade, but then you and I didn't see each other until Little League, and then we saw each other again in high school. And we became close friends for life at that time, didn't we? Right. Let's let's turn to the topic at hand, though. It wasn't really until the last few years that I even knew your mother's history. So it's clearly in her later years that she decided that time had come to tell her story. And I wonder if you can just introduce us to Yolanda a little bit, and what led her to write this book? The process by which my mother Yolanda became an author started in 1992, when her brother died at age 53, alone in Greece, and my younger sister Carla was trying to help my mother deal with that, and she started sending her books and things of that sort. and. At that point, Carla notified my mother, Yolanda, that Yolanda is a Holocaust survivor. She never knew that until 1992. And she claimed that she wasn't one because she had never been captured and never went to a camp. But by current definition, she is a Holocaust survivor. And after realizing that, she went on this journey that led to her book. Tell us a little bit about her experience. And how is the experience in Greece different than in other countries where we're more familiar with the story? Greece was one of about roughly two dozen occupied countries during World War II. And sadly, by percentage, Greece lost proportionally the second greatest losses among all their Jews, uh, only exceeded by the losses in Poland. About 87% of all Greek Jews were captured and killed in the Holocaust. My mother was six years old when the country was occupied, and she was 10 years old when it was liberated. And in that intervening four years, she was hiding 
in different places around Greece, along with her younger brother and her mother and father. And many times they had to separate to stay hidden. And it led her dad to take a series of actions to try to keep this family alive. One of the things that came out of my mom's book is that in Greece, average people really came together in a conspiracy of goodness. It was spontaneous. There was no playbook. So my mother's father had to make up a bunch of fictitious life stories and then order fake IDs to match. And he had to keep thinking ahead, one step ahead of being captured. And so that's why they moved about within Greece so so many times during the four-year occupation. Eventually, after Italy attacked, we fought the Italians successfully for six months. I mean, the Greeks were amazing soldiers. They had wrapped cloth instead of boots on their feet in that cold, very cold, terrible winter of 1940. The Italians wore boots, real leather boots, warm military boots. We had so little. Uh, The Greek population as a whole cooperated spontaneously and reached out many times throughout Greece to help Jewish citizens hide or help them depart, give them fake papers to help them sail to Turkey or Italy or anything of that sort. The largest Jewish community in Greece was in Salonika, the second city in the north of Greece. And because of the cooperation of their rabbi with the Nazis, they lost almost all of their Jews. The rest of the country, however, much less so. And many people were involved in rescuing and saving their fellow countrymen. Many Greek Christians helped hide, protect, defend, and rescue Greek Jews throughout Greece, other than in Salonika, which was the largest Jewish community and which suffered something like 97% losses. When Germany attacked, my father hired a truck and a driver to take us as far down the mainland as we could go. From there, he hired a boat, a fishing boat and crew to take us to Crete. And the idea was that from Crete, like the government, maybe we could also escape to Egypt, like the royal family had escaped to Egypt. From the beginning of the Italian and Greek War, my mother and her family were moving about, staying barely ahead of bombings and other wartime dangers. So at the very beginning, they were in Larissa. Larissa is the largest city in Thessaly, the central part of Greece. And it's like maybe at that time, maybe the third or fourth or fifth largest city in Greece. And they escaped. And, and went to Lamia, but then it turned out that there was a military base in Lamia, so they had to escape back. And they were basically running around, initially just escaping from bombings. The country wasn't occupied, and there was no need for them to claim that they were not Jewish. But once the Germans invaded in 1941, 
everything changed and there was grave danger in being Jewish throughout Greece and throughout Europe. What did your family do? They ended up hiding. There were about a half a dozen different families that took in my mother and or her brother and or the whole family or her grandmother or her aunt. Basically, one family took in her whole family and later they dispersed and one family took in her brother, another took in her aunt, another took in her grandmother, and two families, two different families, consecutively took in little Yolanda, who was then called Esther, because really Esther is her first name. Yolanda is her middle name. And in those days, she was still just Esther. We had a little boy, two years old. I was six. My mother and her sister and her sister-in-law, they were prepared to go to Egypt, not to go in the mountains. Nevertheless, they, they hustled and, they, and we all went. There was no path. And that really, with when you were wearing sandals, the thorns went into your, your feet. So anyway, we managed. We finally uh, reached the chapel on the top of this little mountain that uh, we took shelter in. And they were hidden. She was a hidden child. She was like Anne Frank, except that she was never captured. Yeah, and she, but she had some harrowing experiences. It, it, there were many times when it seemed like they were right on the precipice. Absolutely. The book is gripping. It tells a lot of detailed stories about all kinds of things. Like one time, they were more or less imprisoned on some boat with this fanatical Nazi German, but he didn't know they were Jewish. So he was just whining and dining them and talking about how great Germany is and how Germany will restore the ancient Greek greatness to the whole world and things of that sort. And it was preposterous, even for a six-year-old, but she had to keep her lip zipped and they managed to make it through a lot of crazy situations, mainly because her parents were so smart and her father was so creative at thinking up ways of escaping just before danger reached him. But this was the first day of the invasion of Crete. And uh, my father escaped from the house and, and went to find the Xiluhaki's family. And he didn't find them in their home or in the shop and he went to their their farm and they were packing to leave for the mountains and he said what will become of us my friend and this is one of the times my father saved their lives because the man looked at his wife she nodded and he went like this in a semicircular uh, gesture of inclusion and he said you will come with us, but it won't be easy. And that's how we were taken out of the war zone into the mountains by that family. All of the hiding places were in Athens, except for the first one. The most memorable one was in Crete, the largest of the Greek islands. The king of Greece had made it safely to Egypt. It was controlled by the British, and it was a safe place. And my mother's family tried to go to Egypt, too. But they only made it as far as Crete, which is the southernmost and largest of the Greek islands. While in Crete, the first airborne invasion in history occurred 
with paratroopers only and air support. It was the only invasion with no land or naval support in history. It was the first and it was the last because the elite German paratroopers lost so many lives. The defenders of Crete held out for 11 days, which is unbelievable because some other whole countries were overrun in just a couple of days. But during that time, my mom was hiding along with her family and this other family, the Zeruhakis family, in the mountains. And one night, my mother suddenly remembered the night when she was running down a hill in the dark, in silence, with a couple dozen other people. She had been awakened in the middle of the night, and everybody had to flee and get off that hillside and run back down to the bottom of the mountain. And they had to do it quietly. And somehow my mother had become separated from her family, and she was only six. And she was just grabbing the jacket, the fringe or flap of the jacket of a woman next to her. She doesn't even remember which woman, but it wasn't a family member. And she was just running down the mountain along with all these other people, adults and children, trying to stay very silent. And she realized even at that moment that if she happened to let go of that jacket or if the fabric had ripped, there's a chance that she could have been left behind and lost forever in the middle of the night by herself at age six. So that was a very frightening experience for her. Really, she had to act like a little adult from a very young age. Her childhood was basically taken away from her. She had no opportunity to play and express herself and make noises or reveal that she's Jewish or anything. They had to keep her indoors for most of the occupation, just in case she might blurt out something and then be captured along with the whole family. These are my so-called godparents. My father worked with a man, and they each worked independently, but my father approached him at one point and said that his little girl would not survive if she were caught. And the man said, we take her, and they, we will call her our baptismal daughter. A goddaughter is a baptismal daughter, and that has all these connotations of Christianity. So, you have been baptized, then obviously you're not Jewish, <laughs> you're Christian. And they risked their, their daughter's lives. So, a lot of the uh, incidents that you're talking about really affected the entire family, including your grandmother, if I, if I recall correctly from the book. Right. For example, while they were hiding out in Athens, each one of them had a whole elaborate life story that was made up. And they were generally being hidden separately so that if anyone in the family was captured, everyone else would not be lost. My mother's mother, my maternal grandmother, Carola, would, for example, every single day she would walk into this church with another adult woman and they would make the sign of the cross. The other woman really was Christian, make the sign of the cross and act very religious. And it was, it was frightening because it happened to be right across the street from the offices that had been taken over and were now like the Nazi headquarters in Athens, Greece. At that time, it was considered very dangerous for a woman to be married because if she had a child and she had diabetes, 
there may be complications that they didn't know how to handle in those days. So this woman went to, ch to the chapel twice a day and prayed. She was very religious. My mother started accompanying her. They would make the sign of the cross as they approached the chapel. When they left the chapel, across the chapel, uh, where the Gestapo headquarters. So it was like touch and go. She had a younger brother, I believe. And how did, how did he handle all of this? Well, he was only two years old when the occupation began. And he was sent to live with another family who claimed that he was their baptismal godson or something like that from the country. His mental health never really recovered from the fact that he had to go back to his real family four years later when he was six. He wanted to stay with the other family who he thought were his real parents and brother and sister because he had lived with them from age two to age six. He was really traumatized for life and really had serious mental health issues for his entire life. And after liberation, the family was reunited, but in some respects, things were never quite the same. Her mother had basically lost her son. And in some sense, my mother had lost her mother because her mother was so busy worried about the son that she had lost, even though he was still there physically in the family. Finally, my mother decided that after a couple of years that she would reinstate some of the peacetime customs. And she made us costumes out of curtains and drapes. Um, the shirts are from the curtains, the turbans and the, the vests are from the drapes. I was so excited. And my brother is so sad because he cannot adjust to returning to our family. He doesn't want to be there. He wants to be back with his rescuers. There was a decision to come to the United States, and can you tell us what led to that decision? My mother was always a good student. She got a scholarship to come to Sweetbriar College in Virginia, uh, which is still there. It's a small women's institution. And she was about 18, I believe, when she came. And she ended up getting two master's degrees, a PhD, and she ended up marrying my father and later remarrying a Jewish man. And she's had her whole life here for the last, I guess, almost 60 years now. You know, I knew your mom a long time, particularly once we started to uh, hang out in high school. And this was never something that she raised. And why do you personally think that she had so much hesitancy with coming to grips with this story? Well, my mother was not very religious at all as a younger woman. And she married outside of the Jewish faith. Of course, she knew all about the Holocaust, but she never considered herself to be included in it simply because she had never been captured. And there were members of her family who were captured. For example, her father's mother was captured and died on a train on the way from Greece aye, aye. to Auschwitz and was thrown along with other corpses out of the train. And nobody even knows in which country they were in at that moment, because the, the passage would have gone through about four different countries, like 
Hungary, and a couple, maybe a couple of other countries. She was carrying a lot of baggage with her, and yet she emerged as a very strong woman and very successful in her career. And I believe she took you to Greece at at one point. When Julia was um, 13 years old, she, uh, she and her parents joined me, and we went to visit the rescuing families and the places of rescue with them. In 2006, my mother took me and my wife and my daughter to visit Greece. While we were there, we got to meet the children and grandchildren of my grandfather's rescuers. And we got to visit the Siruhakis family in Crete. It was, and we even got taken up to that mountain where they had been hiding in a cave. We got to see the old little tiny chapel way up at the top of the mountain where believers would go in and light candles. And we got to see the countryside where the first rescue had occurred. And in a way, that was the most memorable one because it involved animals, it involved whole families escaping on foot or on donkey back or horseback up and down a mountain. And the rest of the rescues were mainly based upon hiding within plain sight in Athens. So you really saw a part of your mother's life that was all new to you and your family, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. It's an amazing story. And it's so great that your mother took the time to write that book and to share that story. And as I read the book, the lesson I came away was actually encouragement in a way, because I think it showed that even under the most absolute brutal of circumstances, people can rise to the occasion. That is absolutely right. Eight of her rescuers from Crete are currently now recognized and listed as righteous among the nations at Yad Vashem, which is the World Holocaust Remembrance Center on Mount Herzl on the west side of Jerusalem. So in Israel, at least eight Greeks from Crete are named and listed there permanently because of my mother's efforts to honor her rescuers, which actually occurred almost 50 years later. If you were asked, how would you describe the lessons of all of this? What would you say? Well, one one of the goals of Yad Vashem was to recognize how many non-Jews, non-Jews who at great personal risk and without any financial or evangelical motive, chose to save Jews from the ongoing genocide during the Holocaust. And keep in mind, People didn't really know that there were death camps. People didn't really know what was going on for sure. But the way the Germans were acting in every country toward Jews was so frightening that it was just obvious, it just became obvious that if they got captured, there's a good chance they would never make it back alive. Just after liberation, we had a situation where the Metropolitan Bishop is invited, in, and, and the townsfolk are invited into the synagogue. The rabbi is sitting down, is member of the audience, and nobody bats an eyelash because we, we accepted visiting each other's places of worship, and nobody had any problem with that. We all knew how to behave. People really came together. My mother concluded that courage and decency are 
in our hearts. When we are confronted with danger, if we rise to the occasion with courage and we reach out to save another person or help another person, that is really worthy of gratitude. And so my mother has been very grateful for her whole life. For example, her father would go back every year at Easter to rethink his rescuer, Mr. Ziruhakis, for about 20 years, I believe. He would go back to another part of the country just to spend the day with Mr. Ziruhakis and thank him again for the courageous actions that he took in saving the whole family during the war. Well, Marty, please thank your mom for uh, writing this book. And I, I hope others will read it because it's a story of inspiration at the end of the day. And again, thank you so much for joining me today. You're so very welcome. Thank you. Thank you.